Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's history class. We did the Battle of Shallow last time, and my lovely daughter, Sarah, spelled with an H and Anne with an E, texted me that she was pleased that I had mentioned her when talking about the bloody pun and thanked me for her moment of fame. Now, we got to talking about some other things, and I told her that after each podcast, there are things that I wish I would have been able to tell. When I say been able to tell, it's because I try to do each podcast as a unit and try to keep them with a 50-minute MWF class in college. And with every one of them, there are things that I wanted to be able to tell, but because of the time and sometimes because I just forgot it, that I wanted to go back and tell, but because each podcast would... And she said I needed to do that. It would be okay, simply because this is Mr. Stroud's history class, and Mr. Stroud can do what he wants to do. Every podcast, there were things that I wanted to tell, and I'm going to give you an example. If you've listened to every one of them, and I hope you have, and if you haven't, feel free to go back and listen to them. The one on Samuel Champlain, the father of New France. You're not going to remember this, but if you go back and listen, he had his big boat. After he joined the war party of Huron, he gets to where the war party against the Mohawks going to be, and he's got a canoe. What happened to his big boat? So I told my daughter, Sarah, that I'm thinking about doing a podcast entitled, What Happened to Champlain's Big Boat? Until what happened? Well, with that in mind, there are some things about the Battle of Shiloh that I want to add. But I also want to remind you that this is not going to be a Civil War course. Meaning, as I've told you from time to time, twice I did teach a course just on the Civil War, where I did virtually every battle. I drew the battle lines on the chalkboard, and then later I did it with the magic marker thing. And I was able in 16 weeks to make it to Gettysburg, which if you're not into dates and you don't know that much, was about halfway through the Civil War. And so what I do with this course is I'm trying to do it like in the survey, where I give you enough information that you know what's going to happen and the battles are simply to set up things that are going to be extremely important in explaining why the North was able to win this war. But because, and notice the key word, Civil War, okay, let's do the official name, the War of the Rebellion. And you notice the word war in both of them. Wars have battles. And so I felt that if I was going to do a civil war or war of the rebellion, I needed to mention some battles. And mentioning the battles, I'm going to give you the overview. So that's what my theme has been. However, in doing this, there are things that I've left out for one of the reasons that I've already mentioned. And with that in mind, I'm going to add a few things to the Battle of Shiloh. And we're going to call it the Epilogue, Shiloh Part 2 postscript, pick out whichever one you want. And I'm going to mention a few of these things. And I'm going to begin with 
a young boy that was 10 years old. He joined. He could not join officially, but he ran away from home, and he attached himself to the 22nd Michigan. He tagged along with him, and he had a drum, and so the soldiers of the 22nd decided they would adopt him as a drummer boy. They chipped in together, and they paid him the $13 a month a regular private in the Union Army would have gotten. On the first day of Shiloh, his regiment was caught in fierce battle. The Confederates attacked, and the 22nd was one of the regiments that was pushed back, had a fall back, and do all of that. And then when the battle was over, I'm going to mention something. When the battle was over, after two days, there were approximately 24,000 casualties. Now I'm going to mention something about those casualties. I want you to pretend that you're driving into a town and you start seeing something. And what you start seeing are dead and injured people. And there are many of them. What you're entering into a town of about five miles wide, 24,000 injured and dead people. Podcasters, what would you think? That's a battlefield after two days of fighting. America had never heard of anything like that, that it never happened, ever. But I'm going to tell you something. The Grim Reaper is just warming up. That's the battlefield of Shiloh. And among the wounded was that 10-year-old drummer boy. Now, he's going to survive. And the men of the 22nd gave him a nickname. And they called him the Drummer Boy of Shiloh. And although he survived... He did not prevent a man by the name of William Shakespeare Hayes from writing a song. Now, I know you'd like for me to sing the song, but I will tell you, I am not a singer, but I will tell you a few of the words. You can Google this. You can find it. You can probably even hear someone sing it if you look on YouTube. Now, since I mentioned YouTube and Google, I'm going to mention something that my first instructor in graduate school said about writing history. I'm going to just throw it out there. I don't know how long this podcast is going to last, but out there in cyberspace, I would imagine it's going to last quite a while. And sometime in the long away future, somebody might actually listen to this. Now, my professor in graduate school said that in writing, do not use words and phrases and terminology that is current for today. For example, do not put in your manuscript, do not put in your writing, do not put in your book such things as they, here we go, high-fived, bump knuckles, There's no telling when that people are not going to know what you're talking about. Well, that may be true. But I'm going to tell you now, and I'm going to tell you true, that there is 
time and place, and this is the time, and this is the place. I am not a great singer, so what I'm going to do is just read you a few of the words, and where I got off on this is YouTube, Google, how long is that going to be part of the terminology? Selfie, selfie, my gosh. 20 years ago, you tell me something was a selfie, I wouldn't have known what you were talking about. So with all of that, Google, YouTube, and you can find the drummer boy of Shiloh. You can also go to the animated map and see an overview of the Battle of Shiloh. You can do all of that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just tell you a few words to the song The Battle of Shiloh, The Drummer Boy of Shiloh, and then I'm going to tell you where he goes a little bit different. Now this is William Shakespeare Hayes, and here we go. Hang on. Get ready. You ready? On Shiloh's dark and bloody ground, the dead and wounded lay among them was a drummer boy who beat the drum that day. A wounded soldier held him up. His drum was by his side. He clasped his hands and raised his eyes and prayed before he died. That was the beginning. Now, as I've already mentioned, he did not die. He survived. He becomes known as the drummer boy of Shiloh. He's going to be in another battle, a very bloody battle. What? Shiloh was bloody. Bloody battle, civil war, go hand in hand. This was Chickamauga, September 1863. I'm going to mention, if you've listened to every podcast, and you've listened to the ones on the War of the Rebellion, how many times have I mentioned that I did a book on the history of a Confederate brigade, Hector, Hector's Texas Brigade. One of the regiments in Hector's Brigade was the 9th Texas that fought at Shiloh. They're going to fight at Chickamauga. Now, if you have that book, you're very fortunate. You can read about the 9th Texas at Shiloh, Perryville. You can read about Exodus Brigade at Chickamauga. And the reason I'm telling you this is there's a lot of things in that book that I think are just fascinating that I'm not going to go into in the podcast. If you don't have a copy, check with your library. If you get on Amazon, you'll see that they're pretty expensive now. So, I would check with the libraries. If your library doesn't have it, you could also try interlibrary loan. The drummer boy of Shiloh survived the Civil War, and during the war, he was promoted to sergeant, and to this day is the youngest NCO in the history of the U.S. Army. He made a career of the Army, I believe, and once he was finished with the Army, he moved to San Antonio, Texas, where he's going to die in 1887. The drummer boy of Shiloh. Meanwhile, Walt Disney made a movie. What movie did Walt Disney not make about an American hero? And it's simply called The Drummer Boy of Shiloh. And it was released to the public on January 20th, 1963. Now here's something else my daughter told me would be okay. We talked about it. When she told me she was thrilled that I had mentioned her in the last podcast, I asked her, do you think podcasters would enjoy me mentioning them from time to time? And she said, yes. 
Uh, she's not speaking for you. She's speaking for herself. So with that in mind, I'm going to mention a podcaster. And for every podcaster I mention, there's going to be a whole lot that I don't mention. So I'm not going to mention everybody because I don't know who every podcaster is. But one of these podcasters had me in class many years ago. And when he found out I was going to do the Battle of Shiloh, he sent me a message and he simply said, Don't forget Forrest. Forrest is Nathan Bedford Forrest. I don't forget Forrest. But as I was mentioning earlier, when I do the podcast, I try to make it a complete unit within about 50 minutes. What Forrest did came after the battle, during the retreat of the Confederate Army, heading back to Corinth. Now, Grant did not send the Union Army after Beauregard's retreating Confederates because it's difficult to tell those who won a battle and those who lost the battle. That Union Army was worn out. However, you do send some men after the retreating Confederates just in case. We call them skirmishers. You send a few regiments, and that's what Grant had done. As the Confederate Army was retreating, there is a rear guard, and that rear guard was commanded by Nathan Bedford Forrest, whose nickname was, if you get on Jeopardy, the Wizard of the Saddle. Now, one word I get a little tired of, but it's there, arguably, debatable, interesting discussion when you have nothing else to discuss. When you're together with family and friends and that little time of conversation comes where everybody's just kind of looking at each other and what are you going to say? Hang on. Here we go. You could discuss this. Name who you believe was the greatest Confederate cavalryman and tell why. Well, my gosh, open a floodgate. Could it be fighting Joe Wheeler? Could it be James Ewell Brown Stewart? Could it be Nathan Bedford Forrest? Those are the three off the top of my head. All three of those men were fantastic. And I'm not going to tell you which one I would think. I'm just not going to do that. It's up to you. You can debate that and come up. But the Wizard of the Saddle... Sherman is the one that said if it bankrupt the Union government it would be worth it to kill that wizard of the saddle. As that Confederate army was retreating Forrest realized that the Union soldiers were getting near and so he halted his regiment turned them toward the Union and ordered charge. He spurred his horse and off he went. He emptied his Colt revolver, which was six rounds, drew his sword, and started slashing. And I'm going to mention something. This friend of mine I had that knew everything had ever been written about three people. I'm going to tell you who they were. One of them was Huey Pierce Long, the dictator of Louisiana. Another was Richtofen, forgive my mispronunciation, better known as the Red Baron and Nathan Bedford Forrest. If you've not seen Forrest Gump, 
you find it and you watch that. If you have seen it, I want to remind you of the opening. When you see these Klansmen riding around and one of them pulls the hood off, that's General Nathan Beckford Forrest. Now, Forrest Gump said they all had relatives that did silly things. When Forrest found himself charging into the Union soldiers, he realized that he was by himself. His command had not followed him, and by himself he rode in, as I probably already mentioned. A Union soldier with a musket fired at point-blank range and put a musket ball all the way through his belly. Almost knocked him off his horse. How did he stay on? Got back into the Confederate lines. A surgeon, without putting him to sleep, took that musket ball out. How in the world he survived. And he is going to survive for a long time. He's going to survive the war. And that is for you, Anthony. That's for Anthony. Now, as Halleck, old brains, who was superior in rank to Grant, comes west, that's where Tennessee was, he relieves Grant of his command. And one of the reasons he relieved him of his command is because those in the north who first held Grant as a hero of Shiloh, all of a sudden, with lightning speed, something happened. A reporter had come and visited the Army, wrote a report, and Katie barred the door. They learned that Grant's army had been caught by surprise at Shiloh. And here it goes. Not only had he been caught by surprise, why was he caught by surprise? You ready, podcasters? Can you name? Can you name the reason? He was drunk. Drunk, 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 drunk. Well, my gosh, there were people in the north, especially from Ohio, who had husbands and sons and brothers that were with that army. And at that time, they didn't know whether they were alive or dead. And now that commanding general had been drunk and caught by surprise. They wanted that man relieved of command court-martialed real quickly and then executed by a firing squad. And so Grant gets another nickname. I'm going to mention this about Grant's name. Remember, Hiram Ulysses Grant? When he's growing up, he went by Ulysses. Uh, you know, children will be children. And what do you think they do with that? They nickname him Useless. Useless. Now he gets another one. At Fort Donaldson, he was Unconditional Surrender Grant. And now, the S. The S, Ulysses S. Grant. They said the S stood for, you ready? Surprise! Surprise! And now Halleck had relieved him of his command. He's going with the army with nothing to do but sit in his tent. After a few days of that, William Tecumseh Sherman comes to see him. He finds Grant sitting on a camp stool, tying ribbons around official reports and letters. He looks like he's packing. And Sherman says, what are you doing, Grant? I'm paraphrasing, of course. And Grant said, I'm of no use here. I'm going home. 
I'm leaving. And Sherman said, you can't do that. You stay here. If you were to go home now and leave the army, the war is going to continue without you. But if you stay here, well, you can't ever tell. Now, this is going to be my words, but he means it in a different way of saying it. You could find yourself back in command. But if you go home, that's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. Well, Halleck takes over the command of the Army of Tennessee, starts pursuing Beauregard and the Confederate Army as they retreat to Corinth, where Grant was surprised Halleck won't be. He has guards in front of the Army, on both sides of the Army, and behind the Army. Where Grant had been criticized for not entrenching, Halleck stopped that Army, and for four hours every day, they dug holes. That army was chasing the Confederates at the speed of a snail or a turtle. I'm not sure which one would go faster. And I would bet you more than one turtle passed that army. And if they'd had a sign on that that said, I may be a turtle and I may be slow, but I'm so far ahead of you, I've lost you in my dust. They're creeping. Beauregard realized. There was absolutely no way they could withstand a siege. And so he pulled off one of the neatest tricks of that war. In the town of Corinth was a railroad. And so what Beauregard had were trains to come in from time to time, blowing those whistles, and all of the people there were going to start cheering. The band's going to start playing the Bonnie Blue Flag, Dixie. And then after a while it got quiet, then here comes another train. It's the same one going around and coming back. But Halleck thought that Beauregard was receiving reinforcements by the thousands. He was very cautious anyway, but he's even more cautious now. And when they finally sent skirmishers into the town of Corinth, not a Confederate soldier was there. They had left. There was a dummy with a sign. And that sign said, What's Uncle Abe going to think about this? What's Uncle Abe going to think about this? Well, just about the time that you think, well, that couldn't be anything else about the Battle of Shiloh, I'm going to add one more. And this is a private by the name of Elwood Williams, 28th Illinois. September the 18th, 1897, the United States Congress sent Private Elwood Williams of the 28th Illinois the Medal of Honor. He went down to the post office and he had a package and opened it and there it was. A Medal of Honor. Notice something, podcasters. He's getting this for bravery in April of 1862. 1897. Math majors, get to work. What I cannot answer is, why does it take so long? It doesn't take that long now. It takes about three or four years. Here's another thing. On the reverse of that medal would be an inscription. I've never seen a Civil War Medal of Honor. It's got to have something on there. It was probably presented to Private 
at 27th Illinois for bravery in the Battle of Shiloh. He probably had a copy of his citation, which you can find on the internet. I might tell you, if you look now for Private Elwood Williams, the best one is go and type in Google, Google, get that Google machine cranked up, and you Google Shiloh Medal of Honor. And it's a good photograph of him, which I'll put on my Facebook. And you read in more detail what he did. Well, to save you from doing that, I'm going to tell you what he did. He and his best friend went and joined the 28th Illinois at the beginning of the war. His best friend was William Price. On the 6th of April, 1862, the Confederates attacked their regiment along with hundreds of others and pushed them back. As they were falling back, I don't know how far they fell back, dead and wounded, screams, cannonballs, everywhere. The colonel of that regiment realized that they had not brought a 110-pound box of ammunition. In that box were 1,000 cartridges. Now, if you're into this, these aren't the cartridges like you go down and buy today in a box. These were paper cartridges that were pre-rolled. You needed to bite the end off and pour the powder down the musket ball, but they desperately needed them. And so the colonel asked for volunteers, and those two men volunteered. They went back, being fired at by hundreds of Confederates, and somehow they made it to that box, picked it up. Private Willis was shot. Elwood, by himself, brought that box of ammunition back. The regiment cheered him. He was a hero. He put that box down, and he had to go back and get his best friend. Now, I'm going to do this. If you see Forrest Gump, you remember, what did he say as he brought those wounded men out? I got to go find Bubba. He went back, podcasters. He picked his best friend up who was wounded and brought him back again. His best friend received medical attention, but there was nothing they could do, and he died a few days later. As far as I know, he is the only soldier that was awarded the Medal of Honor for the Battle of Shiloh. Now, I've got another surprise. If this works, I will be thrilled. And what could I be surprising you with now? When I was teaching over 40 years, from time to time, I would bring in my boom box and I would play songs that were contemporary to that time period. Now, in the past, if you listen to other podcasts, I've given you homework assignments to go and listen to certain songs. But what I really wanted to do was be able to include it in the lecture, the story that I was talking about in this podcast. And so I got me a little recorder. I've recorded one. This is from the Public Broadcasting Radio at Nashville, Tennessee. It's a song I'd never heard or even knew about. I believe it's contemporary with the Battle of Shiloh in 1862. And I'm going to try to play it for you. Now, it's going to be a little bit low, so you may have to turn the volume up. I hope you enjoy it. And we're going to go with the Battle of Shiloh Hill 
if everything works right.
podcasters, I hope that worked out okay. And while I was letting you listen to the Battle of Shiloh Hill, I remember that maybe I forgot to tell you the name of the drummer boy of Shiloh. That was John Lincoln Clem, C-L-E-M, the drummer boy of Shiloh. Another thing I should have mentioned, and again, this happens because, well, I just sometimes forget to mention something, that as Halleck took over command of the Union Army of Tennessee and was pursuing Beauregard toward Corinth, he sent thousands of Union soldiers to the east, thousands of Union soldiers to the west, thousands of Union soldiers to the north. The only direction he did not send them was south. Now guess where the Confederate Army was? I mentioned, I think, in a podcast earlier, Lincoln's Bull Run lesson. You would not believe that in that war, how trouble Lincoln had trying to find a general that would fight. That's why I will remind you when thousands of the North demanded that Grant be relieved or shot or executed or whatever you want to say, Lincoln said, I can't spare that man. He fights. Let's do the other one. Find out what brand of whiskey he drinks. Yes, sir, podcasters. I'm going to go on and tell you this also. I was going to wait and tell you when 1864 gets here. I had students ask because... For most of the time when I did the Civil War as part of the unit in 1302 or 1301 history, I didn't do shallow for many years. And every now and then a student would ask, where is Grant? You don't really hear about Grant until 1864. How many times and how many podcasts have I mentioned learning, I-N-G, learning, from reading, from podcasting. I found the answer to that. Oh, Lincoln knew where Grant was, but could not trust him with command of the army because of the drinking problem. Was it true or wasn't it? But by 1864, Lincoln's going to call Grant to Washington. Now, there's going to be other things we're going to do before we get to 1864. That's the podcast, Grant's Shallow Nickname, Epilogue, whatever you want to call it. I hope you enjoyed it, and we will have another class very, very, very soon. Dismissed, podcasters.